0: For those of you under the age of 20, this is an overhead projector. (laughs) Yes. And uh, I rescued it from the late 1980s and brought it here this morning. How many of you remember as a child uh, doing shadow puppets? Anybody? Or when you had children, you did shadow puppets. So um, this morning... I am going to regale you with my shadow puppet mastery, <laughs> right? <laughs> Aren't you glad you came this morning, <laughs> huh? Wasn't it worth it waking up to come this morning? All right, here we go. Ready? This is a a dog or a wolf or a jackal or whatever, whatever else. All right, here we go. Yeah, okay. This is a um, it's a western blue-bellied will. You were close, though. Um, this, uh, yeah. Woo, that's a good one, right? Uh, and then pretty much my repertoire runs out. Uh, this is a snake. Uh, I've been working on this one. Hold on a second. This one's really hard here. That one's really good. Uh, it took me a while to master that one. Um, hold on, one more here. This is a... Um, Um, I'm a moose, a moose It's a moose, hey moose Yes, it's a moose, right? Exactly Uh, We'll be done with that You're welcome Yeah, I know Now, here's the deal You would never confuse the shadow puppet moose with reality Right? You're not going to leave church and go tell your friends Oh man, you missed it There was a moose in church today, right up on stage. Its head was like 15 feet high. It was awesome, right? Hopefully, you're not going to say that because there's a difference, obviously, between shadow and reality. You're not going to load the kids up in the car and uh, go to the shadow puppet zoo. You're not going to, you know, get everybody together and like, we're going to shadow puppet wildlife safari. You just don't do that because you don't do that with the shadows because you have seen the reality. Because you know what the real thing is, you're not near as taken with the shadow. And that's what we're going to read about today in Hebrews. And if the author of Hebrews had an overhead projector, he may have used this very illustration. But he was writing to a group of believers that had experienced Jesus, and yet were tempted to go back to what they practiced and what they knew before Jesus. And the author's saying, listen, those things, they're shadows. They come nowhere close to the reality that is Jesus Christ, and you need to focus on him. So before we jump in uh, and continuing our series, Stay with Jesus, let's open in a word of prayer. Jesus, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that... um, There's just timeless truth there and that it speaks to us. And Spirit, I ask that you would just move in this place uniquely this morning and speak to each heart as you do. Jesus, that we would be drawn to the reality that's you and out of the shadows. In your name, Jesus, amen. Hey, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 8 this morning, so if you want to grab your Bible and uh, begin turning there, if you just want to grab one out of the pew, it's on page 1915, and you need to understand that Hebrews 8 is a transitional chapter in the book of Hebrews, that there'll be a lot of things that he's already said before, he's like, there's some review, here's here's the point, and he's also pointing forward. So there's all of these pleas to stay with Jesus. And then there's a little bit of this groundwork that's pushing us in a further direction. And he, he's, again, he's, he's writing to this body of believers. They, they had heard about Jesus. They had experienced Jesus. And yet they were tempted to go back to their old ways. And the author is saying, no, listen, Jesus is so much greater than the shadows you're tempted to slide back into. Jesus... He is a greater high priest. And if you were here last week, you heard Steve preach about Melchizedek from chapter 7. And he talked about how the high priest system wasn't getting the job done. And if you missed that message, it was a great one. You should, uh, you should listen to the podcast of that. And uh, Steve's in the Middle East. I don't even have to say that. It's, it's good. You know, I'm not bound by any contractual obligation to tell you to listen to Steve. It's good, though. But he's saying that they didn't get the job done because the system that they were officiating over was a system of rules and regulations and, and checking the box and feeling like, okay, if I do this and if I do this and if I do this, then I will have confidence where I stand. But that wasn't working. And you know, in, instead of asking, how am I doing, the bigger question is, who am I becoming? That system wasn't working, and Jesus was far greater than that system. The offering that Jesus gave was far greater than all of the old offerings and sacrifices. The temple in heaven where Jesus serves is far greater than the earthly temple. And the new covenant of Jesus is far greater than the old one. Jesus didn't come to serve in an earthly temple. He didn't come to be an earthly high priest. He didn't come to mediate an old covenant. He came to give us the new. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about the new covenant and how the new covenant is so much greater than the old covenant. Now, a covenant is, is just this. It's an agreement that brings about a relationship. And so you can read in the Old Testament about the Mosaic Covenant. You can find it in the book of Exodus, starting in about chapter 17 all the way through like 24. It's this this set of rules that God is establishing a relationship with this covenant. He's giving, you know, here's some 10 things that you can do. And uh, you know that the Pharisees blew that up into 600 plus things that you should do. But, you know, here's these things you should do. I'm going to show you how this relationship is going to work. You do these things, and I promise I will do these things. That's what a covenant is. But that's an old covenant, and there is a new covenant that we're going to talk about this morning. Verse 1, Hebrews chapter 8. Here's the main point, and I love when Scripture says that. Here's the main point. Maybe you're thinking that in your head. Get to the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest since there already are priests who offer the gifts required by the law. All right, you can see kind of that system going already, that he's a a greater high priest who serves in a greater temple, who has made a greater offering. And then verse five, it's talking about the earthly high priest It says, they serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one. That system is a copy. It's a shadow, which means it has an outline. There's a certain form to that. But it's just a shadow. Plato was a philosopher who lived about 400 years before the time of Christ. And uh, his teacher was Socrates, and you may have studied him in high school or in college, and he wrote... A bunch, and a lot of it's collected in a, a book called *The Republic*, Plato's *Republic*, and in it he has this allegory, this famous allegory of the cave. And in this allegory, he's explaining kind of human existence, and he's saying uh, most people are prisoners. Imagine you're a prisoner, and you're in this cave, and and he's saying you've been a prisoner since infancy, which means you really don't even know that you're a prisoner. All you know is the reality that lies before you. You've never experienced anything else. And and you're chained, your ankles are chained, and and your arms are chained, and even your neck is chained. And your neck is chained so that you don't even have any real sense of self-awareness of who you are. And your neck is chained so that you have to stare at the blank cave wall in front of you. And so he's saying that there's a roadway behind, and there are some people that walk along the roadway. But all the prisoners ever see are the shadows. The shadows that they see on that wall are as close as they ever come to reality. And so they can see human forms walking, and oftentimes these people would be carrying things or statues or animals would come come by and, and they would see these on the wall. But the shadows were their view of reality. And then he's saying, Imagine if you escaped. What if you escaped as a prisoner and were able to somehow come back up on that roadway and you saw a person? I mean, how would that change your view of reality? How would that change your worldview when you saw the real instead of the shadow? And and you could see firelight and and it would hurt your eyes. and, And maybe you could kind of walk up and outside and into the sun and see real trees and real people and real things, and you would come to understand that the shadows on the wall don't make up reality at all. And so imagine what it would be like to be freed from the cave. Imagine what it would be like to be freed from the shadows. Amazing, right? Imagine how your world would change when you came into this new reality. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. All of these old things are shadows, but there is an absolutely new reality. There's something new for us. Look at verses six and seven. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. This covenant that is better, that's way better than the shadow of this old covenant. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. The word better appears in the book of Hebrews more than the entire New Testament combined. It's better. Jesus is better than the systems that you have been in. These shadows, these shadows that had outline, that had form, that had some sense of value, but they came nowhere close to being the way Jesus was, the real, the rich, the full, the depth of who Jesus was. And before we kind of jump into this new covenant, I want us to think for a minute. And, and we want to ask questions of ourselves when we read scripture, and we always want to ask, well, you know, what is, this, what is this speaking to us? Because as I was reading this past week, I was like, well, I, I don't know about you, I've never lived under the old covenant, right? We haven't grown up under the old covenant. We don't live by these rules and regulations and sacrifices, but it does speak to us. And I want us to hear two things this morning. I want us to hear the promises that God makes about the new covenant, because they are the way that we should be living. They are the reality that we should be living in. And I want us to understand that there are times that we get stuck in the shadows. And there are times that we embrace the shadows, and we need to learn to celebrate the real things and not embrace the copies, Because if Jesus is far greater than the high priest system and his sacrifice was far greater and and his temple is far greater and his covenant is far greater, then how much greater is he than the things that take our attention away from him? How much greater is Jesus than the shadows that we slide back into? And sometimes that's just our default setting. We slide back into things that we're familiar with. But when we slide back into those shadows, we miss the reality. I've been reading the... Chronicles of Narnia books with my youngest daughter again. And I've read them a bunch of times and I love the excuse to sit with her and see how she just loves these books. And so if you're familiar with the story, right, there's four children at the beginning, uh, Peter and Susan and Edmund and Lucy, and they go through the wardrobe and they come into Narnia and this new existence and they meet Aslan and, and it's just this amazing time. And they have all these adventures and they're kind of woven in and out of the rest of the seven books. They're not in all of them. But when you get to the end, the last book is called The Last Battle, And honestly, there's a part in this book that is the saddest part of the entire series for me. And it's a part where Aslan's calling everybody into, finally, the real Narnia. And three of the four children are there. And somebody else who is an observer says, if, if I've read the Chronicles right, there should be four of you. How come there's only three? It seems like there's a sister missing And Peter, who is the high king, he says, my sister Susan is no longer a friend of Narnia. Whenever we talk about it, she always says, what wonderful memories you have. Fancy you still thinking about all those funny games we used to play when we were children. She's interested in nothing nowadays except nylons and lipstick and invitations. She wasted all her school time wanting to be the age she is now, and she'll waste all the rest of her life trying to stay that age. Her whole idea is to race on to the silliest time of one's life as quick as she can, and then stop there as long as she can. Let's not talk about that for now. And it breaks my heart to think, ah, oh, she got caught in the shadow of... Beauty, but not true beauty. In the shadow of invitations and recognitions and in the busyness of everything else. And she missed the reality. But the new covenant that we're going to read about is full of better promises. And it's God drawing us out of the shadows and into intimacy with him. And there's four, four statements that I want to focus on here in Hebrews chapter 8. And they're I will statements of God. When you get to Hebrews 8, verse 8, it's a quote from Jeremiah chapter 31, and it's God speaking even then about this new covenant that's going to come with Christ. And there's four I will statements, and we're going to kind of talk about what some of the shadows are with those things, because we get stuck in certain shadows. We get stuck in tradition over the truth. Now, there's some good traditions, but when tradition takes the place of truth, We get stuck in performance over position. We get stuck in rules over relationship. We get stuck in distance over drawing near. We get stuck in fear and failure over forgiveness and freedom. God's calling us out of those. He's calling us into intimacy with him, and he's saying, don't get stuck in the shadows. Even though they have a substance and a form, don't get stuck there. The first I will statement is in verse 8. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Here's that statement. I will make a new covenant. I am going to change this relationship. I'm going to bring it to new levels of intimacy. And so you can ask yourself, well, why does God have to make a new covenant? What was wrong with the old covenant? Well, the the old covenant, right, it was a shadow, And it pointed in a certain direction, and it served its purpose. But what was really wrong with the old covenant, what was really wrong with with the law, is that we couldn't keep the law. You see, to be righteous under the old covenant, you had to keep the law, and nobody could keep the law. But to be righteous under the new covenant, you accept the righteousness of Christ. It's not about keeping the law. He says, I'm going to make something new. And anytime that you hear somebody is making something new, immediately there's a shadow of tradition. The shadow of, well, that's not how we've done it. We, we don't do it that way. I work with students, and sometimes students come to me and they say, well, why are you changing that? We've always done it this other way. And I'm like, there is no always done it the other way. You're 16. <laughs> what, do you, what do you know about always doing it the other way? Right? But there, there's this shadow of tradition over truth. And, and traditions can be founded on the truth, but traditions can then take over the truth. For instance, um, Easter eggs. All right, and I am not against Easter eggs. I think Easter eggs are great, especially when they're filled with chocolate. I love that. It's perfect. And, and for years, Orthodox Christianity has been putting forth an egg as a symbol of new birth, as a symbol of an empty tomb. I don't know where... Easter got bunnies. I'm not sure, because bunnies don't, never mind. Um, I don't know how we got that, right? But for centuries, people have been using Easter eggs to symbolize these things. But now, obviously, you can see where that's lost its meaning. And people just celebrate Easter with Easter eggs full of jelly beans, and they don't celebrate the resurrection. And you can see how tradition has replaced truth. God says, I'm gonna do something new and there's like, oh, that's just not how we do it. When I was uh, interviewing for licensing to be a youth pastor, I sat 20 years ago in a room full of um, older men in three-piece suits who uh, looked stern to me, mostly because I was very nervous to be sitting there in front of them answering their questions. And one of them asked me this question, have you ever been to Mahaffey Camp? And Mahaffey Camp was just a Christian camp in the area. And I was like... No, I haven't. And he said, well, I don't even know if you're Christian. <laughs> and I was like, oh, he didn't even smile. It wasn't like, it wasn't even like he was joking. And I waited for it. And then it didn't come. And he's like, well, camp is so important to us. We've always done camp. Big things happen at this camp. And you need to go to Mahaffey Camp. And I was like, Woo. <laughs> A little personal confession here. I still haven't been to Mahaffey Camp. I'm pretty confident of my salvation, right? When we take tradition and put them over the truth. And so we want to think about that. And I want to ask you that. Are are there things in your life that you are locked into? Are there traditions in your world that you just feel like that is it? But at the sake of the truth, when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and the uh, teachers of the law in Mark chapter seven, he said this, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. Listen to that. You skillfully sidestep the truth of God so that you can hang on to your own tradition. May it never be with us. May we never get caught in that shadow of tradition over truth. God says, I'm gonna make it new. Verse 10 is the next I will that I wanna focus on. He says, this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. This is this heightened level of intimacy again. A heightened level of understanding. You see, so much of what the Jewish people did in that day were external observances, right? They had a lot of ceremony. They had a lot of sacrifices. And the beauty of this new system is kind of the sparseness of these external observances. God says, I'm gonna write them on the conscience. I'm gonna write them on the heart. They're gonna take root. They are gonna to lead to levels of engagement that rules could never lead to. The old covenant was written on tablets of stone. The new covenant is written on the heart. You see, the old way of doing things was, the idea was, I will regulate your actions in the hope that it will change your behavior." In God's new way, he's saying, I'm gonna write these things in your heart. I'm gonna capture your heart and your behavior will then follow. Now think about that for a second. What's a better system? Is it better to just regulate someone's actions in the hope that it changes their heart? Or is it better to capture their heart? You know, you're a parent. And if you have children and you say, uh, there's some rules that we have to abide by. You need to clean up after yourself. You're making more work for me. And you tell them these rules, you've got some house rules. Now, do you think the house rules that you set up for your children are automatically going to change their heart about servanthood and responsibility? I have an opportunity to take students from this church to Mexico most years. And when we go to Mexico, we meet the family that we're gonna build a house for. And man, from there, Our kids go crazy. I don't have to tell them what to do most days. They work, they work, they work. They've been on the job site 10 hours, and they're like, we need to stay longer. We need to finish this thing. And we get back, and I tell the parents, man, your kids were amazing. They worked 12 hours a day, four days straight, and they go, (laughs) my kid? You are not talking about my child. But what happened is their heart got captured, right, and their behavior followed. That's what God's saying. I'm going to write these things on your heart. But you know what? That, that, that can get tough for us. This is the part where I feel like the shadow we go to is, is we, we slip back into rules. But, oh, wait, I like the rules. I like that system of rules. The shadow is rules over this relationship or performance over your position. I think we have a love-hate relationship with the rules, but when we have rules, we know where we stand. I'll be honest, I'm a rule follower. I like rules. I like to know that if I can do this and this and this, then I feel better about myself, right? We want rules. We kind of want, oftentimes, just tell me what to do, I'm in. You ever go to a wedding reception and there's a dance floor and a bunch of people on the outside watching two people dance? Because they're like, I, I don't know what to do out there. And then a song like the YMCA plays and everybody stands up because they're like, rules, I know this one, four letters, I'm in. Mm-hmm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Yep. And everybody does it because they know the steps to that dance and then they sit down when it's over and then the chicken dance plays and they're back out because they're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> we, we like that. We, we know We know what... <laughs> We know what we're supposed to do. Rules are, are good for us. They, you know, that's fine. That's, I'm going to just keep following the rules. Relationship is messy and complicated and intimate. And I don't always understand how to do relationship. And all of the women in the room said, what man does? <clears throat> right? You know, relationship isn't as cut and dry, and it's easier. It's easier to do the rules. Until you get to that point, the the hate part with the rules is we're like, there's too many rules. I hate all these rules. Right? Think about it at the beginning. When God created all of this, how many rules were there? One. Right? There was one rule. God said, do this, do this, do this, go and do do this, don't do this. But do all of this, and then what did they do? They did the don't, right? And we would have probably done the don't. But God's not a God who sets up all of these rules. We, we do that. God is a God of freedom. That's why he says with the fruit of the Spirit, do these things and against them. There's no law. I want to set you free to do. I, I don't want the don't. Now, again, rules are good. The rules aren't bad. But when you feel like the rules define your relationship, that's where you get into trouble. Performance isn't bad. It's okay to perform good. (laughs) But when you get locked into performance, what happens is you either perform yourself to death or you give up because you never know where you stand with performance. Have I performed enough? And so the shadows we slip into is your value based on your performance? Do you feel like your position with God is based on your performance? Do you feel like you have far more focus on the rules that you're following than your relationship? Those are shadows. God's calling us to that heart relationship. He takes the intimacy piece a little further in the second half of verse 10. He says, I will be their God and they will be my people. Once again, drawing near. And what we know to be true about God, this intimacy, this belonging, every attribute that we could list, redeemer, sustainer, counselor, guide, provider, defender, comforter, we can experience these things firsthand with God, that He is our friend, that He is our Savior. He's calling us into this intimate relationship. You see, because in the old system, who could approach God? The priest's. As a matter of fact, one priest, the high priest, could really approach God in the Holy of Holies. But in this new system, God's saying everybody can approach. We read that in Hebrews 7, verse 19. We have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. God's calling us into that intimacy. And yet the shadow that we can slip into is, I believe, distance over drawing near that we're oftentimes content with the distance. The Bible uses several analogies to describe our relationship with God. One is we're the clay and he's the potter. And, um, you know, that's, it's an all right one. It just means we're this kind of lifeless lump of nothing and he shapes us, right? And that it serves its purpose. That's a good illustration. Another one is um, we are the sheep, he's the shepherd. And that's better because at least we're alive. And... Uh, that's a good thing, but you guys know sheep aren't exactly the brightest crayons in the box, okay? And then there's this one that says, you know, he's the master, we're the servant. And that's good because at least we're in the house, <laughs> we get to wipe our feet off and mind our manners and not speak too much, right? But I think most of us are content to stop there. Most of us are comfortable with that relationship. God is in heaven. We are on earth. He's big. I'm small. He's scary. I'm scared. Right? I don't know how to relate to that. So I'm content with this distance. I'm content with this relationship. But the Bible goes so much further than that. It says, you're, you're not slaves any longer. You're children. You're my child, which means you have unprecedented access to the Father, He says, you're not slaves anymore, you're my friends. And even further than that, he said, you're my beloved. This is the level of intimacy that he's drawing us into. The better way with the new covenant is God is inviting us into relationship with him. And yet oftentimes we choose the distance over that drawing near. The fourth I will statement is found in verse 12 and it's it's fantastic. This is a great one. He says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Listen to that. I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sin. This is Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Under the old system, you receive forgiveness for the sacrifices that you made. Under the new system, you receive forgiveness for the sacrifice that Jesus made. The old covenant used the word justice far more than it used the word mercy. The new covenant, mercy triumphs over judgment. This is that once and for all sacrifice that we see in 1 Peter chapter 3. Christ died once and for all. Under the old covenant, when you sinned, there was separation from God, and you offered a sacrifice for that sin. And we studied that in Leviticus. Under the new covenant, When you sin, you repent, you receive forgiveness, the sacrifice has been made. There is no sin that separates you from God. That's amazing to think about, that God remembers our sins no more. And this is absolutely crazy difficult for us to understand, I think, because when somebody sins against you, you remember, right? You remember it. And, and depending upon the nature of the offense, you may never forget it. it. It shapes the way that you treat that person. That sticks with you. And I think somewhere deep inside, we feel like it's the same with God. Like, how could God not remember my sin? I remember it. But God, in his infinite goodness, chooses to not remember. He chooses to forgive us. The guilt is removed. My wife and I were talking about this this past week, and both of us grew up in church, and both of us grew up in youth groups that taught us that when you get to heaven, you will give an account to God. And, and that's biblical, right? Romans chapter 14. But the, the account that we were taught was this. You will get to heaven, and a movie will play of all of your life and all of the things that you did wrong. And I was like, oh. And I lived with this weight, and I lived with this fear. And I don't know if that's your story. I asked another pastor on staff if he had ever heard the movie theory, and he said, no, it was, it's the tape recorder theory. And I was like, well, that's because you're older than I am. <laughs> but there's this, this movie, and I had this fear that there'd, there'd be this moment. Everybody's, you know, up there in heaven, and God's on this huge throne, and I hear this, Brian condello please stand. Right, and I stand up, and everybody's there, and God hits play. And up in front of everybody is everything I did wrong. And I lived with this fear that God was like, oh man, we got to re edit again. I need another disc. This kid keeps sinning. Right? And this crazy thought guess what? There's no movie. In Christ, there's no movie. Psalm 130, verses three and four said, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. God remembers our sins no more. It says, if we never sinned, he doesn't remember them. He doesn't keep a record of them. He doesn't look them up so that he can hold them against us. He doesn't label us with them. And even though they might always be before you, God chooses to put them behind him. And so that shadow where we want to stay in that fear and that failure, when God has offered us freedom and forgiveness, if you get to heaven, the movie will be Forgiven. Just a looping title that just says Forgiven. Forgiven. That's the new covenant. That's the relationship that God is inviting us into. Back to this allegory of the cave. Back to this picture that we had up earlier. Imagine you're one of the prisoners, and you get out, and you get up that ramp, and you get out into the sunlight, and you get out into this whole new reality. Is there any way that you would go back to live in the cave? Is there any way that you would want to go back and say, no, I I prefer the shadows? Because the reality is, is that you've been invited into this intimate relationship with God and he's inviting you to draw near and he's saying your position is secure and he's saying I have forgiven you of your sins and I will remember them no more. The light of God drives away the shadows.